Amen. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We thank God for giving us an opportunity to worship him as brothers and sisters in Christ one more time. Uh, we should never take it lightly that God is, uh, has waking us up out of our sleep this morning and uh, giving us a brand new day. And so we just thank God today for his grace and his mercy, that his grace is always sufficient and his mercies are new every morning. Well, Pastor George uh, has been walking us through the, the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments, the, uh, the Decalogue, and uh, he's been helping us to understand that uh, the, the importance of the law in relationship to the character of God, but also the grace of God and how God has given us a gift uh, through every aspect of the law. And so today we want to talk about, uh, look, want to look at uh, Exodus 20, verse 16. And uh, we want to look at Exodus 20, verse 16. I want to hang as a title over this, Witness and the Gift of Justice. It's just one small verse. It says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. I like the way Reverend Childs um, translates this verse. He says, you shall not testify against your neighbor as a lying witness. And that really gets at the heart of, of what uh, this uh, commandment, this ninth commandment is all about. It's about being a witness, but it's also about telling the truth. Uh, Dr. King, uh, one of his favorite, one of my favorite quotes of Dr. King, he says that all men are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Uh, whatever is done directly affects all indirectly. And if that is the case, then I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. And I, I love this quote because it gets at the heart of, of what it means to be human. But this quote also is foundational to, to me, to my philosophy of life and to my philosophy of ministry, uh, that uh, we are human uh, and that we're interconnected and that we need one another. And as one writer has said, that we may have came uh, to the States, we may have came to the United States of America to the Americas at, on different ships, but we're in the same boat now. And, and that's, that's a real truth, brothers and sisters. But I want to talk about this relationship between witness and the gift of justice. And I, I want you to hold me accountable because I'm going to give you my, my three points before we, before we get started. And I want you to hold me accountable. Jesus uh, justice begins with the triune God here. That's my first point. Second point is God leads us and he's a, a justice training, justice making God. And then my third point, brothers and sisters, is that we have or we serve a justice restoring Savior. And now what I want to do is kind of put some meat on those bones. We want to talk about uh, that justice begins with the triune Godhead. 
First, we got to understand that God is a, a truth teller. Uh, it's, it's a part of God's character. God cannot lie. He is not a man that, that he should lie. And so God tells the truth. He doesn't it doesn't matter who he offends. He's not trying to get anybody's approval. Wherever you see God speaking in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament, God is always telling the truth, even when it hurts his prophets, even when it hurts his saints, uh, he tells the truth in love. And so we have to understand that at the heart of justice is being a truth teller. Now, this uh, Exodus 20, 16 uh, has a legal overtone to it because God wanted the children of Israel to exercise justice, to practice justice, to, to be a witness. And so whenever someone sinned or had fallen short of the marks that God had set in, in the Decalogue, in the law, uh, there had to be at least two or three witnesses to, to say, to tell the truth. Uh, they, they had to tell the truth because if they told a lie, it, it broke the moral fabric of what God was trying to accomplish in the children of Israel. So, because if God is a justice-minded God, if God is a God of justice, then we must, as the children of Israel, as well as us, we must be truth-tellers. Must be truth-tellers. William Barclay lists uh, eight uh, kinds of lies, uh, and he says... First of all, the lie that comes from malice, uh, that malintent, that we, we're just intentional in telling this lie. Then there's the lie of fear, that we, we lie to, because of fear, to cover ourselves or to defend ourselves. And then there is the lie for profit, lie for profit. Uh, in other words, What's in it for me? What do I get out of this lie? How can I manipulate the situation? It's almost like the, the commercials we see sometimes where they give all of these, uh, these uh, promises about what this product is able to do. And then in the fine print, they talk about the side effects of the product. Uh, that's, the, that's the lie for profit. Then there is the lie of silence. Uh, there are things that we know, uh, things that, that could... Uh, actually help. Uh, and we withhold the evidence. We withhold the truth. And so we stay silent. And, and when we should speak up, we stay silent. So there's the, the lie of silence. And then there's the lie of boasting. Lie of boasting. In other words, we like to embellish sometimes. Not only do we like to be proud and, and, and talk about ourselves or talk about a situation, but then we will go a little further and begin to embellish on what we're talking about. That's the lie of boasting. And then the lie, which is a half truth. And that's kind of the, the lie that Abraham told when he went into Egypt. And uh, Pharaoh saw Sarah and saw that Sarah was a beautiful woman. And Abraham told Sarah to tell Pharaoh that you are my sister. And that was a half truth because she was also his wife. And so there's the lie, which is a, high tr a half truth. And then there is the lie to self. Sometimes we lie to our own selves. No one has lied on you 
more than you lied on yourself. No one has bamboozled you, uh, flim-flammed you more than you have done it to yourself. There is the lie to self. And then there's the lie to God that sometimes we, even though God knows when we tell, we, we, we think that God doesn't know. We, we lie to God. We immediately realize that the secret to all of this is being honest, being honest. And Barclay, William Barclay goes on to say that an honesty that is worked at with all our might, because it's so easy to deceive ourselves, to seek to deceive others, and even to try to deceive God by seeking to conceal things from him. Yet God knows our hearts. He searches them and detects our thoughts as well as our words and our deeds. So God calls us, because he's a truth teller, he calls the children of Israel to be truth tellers, but he also calls us to be truth tellers. So justice begins with the triune Godhead. But there's another, another aspect of this, of this law, that at the heart of the Decalogue, was social cohesion, that he wanted the children of Israel to be interconnected and understand the importance of unity and having a united front as the people of God. And so the children of Israel were called to be a witnessing community internally toward one another, but also externally to the nations. They were called to be a witnessing community. Now, the Decalogue goes against the, our ideas as Americans, the rugged individualism that we often talk about, that we're so proud of. It, it goes against that rugged individualism, me, myself, and I. Uh, the, the idea that we can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, the, uh, the idea that we, we come up with our own ingenuity, our own genius. And this Decalogue goes against the very idea of being individuals, of being individualistic. You see, the interconnectedness of humanity is at the very heart of the Ten Commandments. Because he's not giving the commandments to one person. He's giving it to a nation of people. They were a covenant keeping people. They were in a covenant relationship with God. Uh, they were to reflect the character of God uh, to the surrounding nations. So these 10 words were the starting point, not the ending, but the starting point of understanding the very character of God. It was the starting point because as you read through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, you begin to see that there were other, other laws that were in place that but served to, but this served as, the Decalogue served as the nucleus of that, but there were other laws that were added to that. Now, when we think about God being a truth, truth teller, and we're also called to be truth tellers, I, I like what God said in Exodus 19, 5, and 6, because this sets the tone of why he wants them to be truth tellers. 
Exodus 19, 5 and 6 says, Now, therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine. This is what God is saying. But you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. Do you hear what God says to the children of Israel? He says, you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. This word priest come, comes from the Latin word. It means bridge builder. That God wants us to, wanted the children of Israel to, to build bridges, not to build walls, but to build bridges toward the other nations. Uh, and, and a holy nation. God says, be ye holy for, for I am holy. So you're to reflect my character. And so God says to, to them, you, you're in a relationship with me and you're to be to, to the nation what I am to you. You're to reflect the character of God. And so I want us to understand today that justice begins in the, with the triune Godhead. Begins with God. It, justice did not originate with humanity. It, it, didn't, it didn't originate with, with us. It originated with God. By virtue of God's character, he is a God of justice. And we see that throughout the Old Testament. We see that primarily in Exodus when God tells Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. God is saying that I'm a God of justice. So that's, that's our first point. We want to build on that, but also understand that God seeks to train his people in justice. He's a justice-making God. Peter Enns put it this way. He says, he is training them to be his people in Canaan, to be order amid chaos, to be a holy people and a kingdom of priests so that by looking at them, the nations will come to know the true God. By looking at the children of Israel, the nations will come to know the true God. In other words, God, God wants to train the children of Israel. He wants them to be practitioners of justice. He wants them to understand because he is a justice making God that they are to be a justice making people. I like the way Michael 6, 8, many of us are familiar with Michael 6, 8. He says, he has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? This idea of humility that we must have a humble disposition, a posture of humility, because only when we are humble are we able to really hear the voice of God. James gets at the heart of this. He says, God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Because proud, proud people th already think they know everything. They already think they're smarter than God. But God gives grace to the humble. He gives wisdom to the humble. And part of doing justice, first and foremost, is walking humbly with God. You, you, you can't really do justice and love kindness if you're not walking with the one 
who is a justice maker. If you're not walking with the one who loves kindness. Uh, so we must walk with God if we're going to be a justice making people. This is what this is what this this text is telling us. God wants us to be a justice making people. But then there's Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. I just want us to understand the uh, what justice means and how scripture, and these are just a few verses, there are a, a multitude of verses that point to the reality that justice originates with God, but it also points to the reality, brothers and sisters, that justice is not an option for us as Christians. That justice, God is not saying, I suggest, I suggest that you Love your enemies. God is not saying, I suggest that you walk humbly with me. God is not saying to us, I suggest that you do justice. God's saying, do justly, love mercy, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. And Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says this, thus says the Lord, do not let the wise boast in their wisdom. Do not let the mighty boast in their might. Do not let the wealthy boast in their wealth. But let those who boast, boast in this, that they understand and know me. He said, if you got anything to boast about, say, yes, I know the Lord. I understand the Lord. He says that, they, that, that I am the Lord. And then he says, I act with steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. God says, I delight in justice. I, I delight in righteousness. I delight in steadfast love. God says, these things are, I'm committed to on the earth and in the world. So brothers and sisters, it's, it's important that we understand the, the mindset of God. I like the way one writer uh, put it when he defined justice. He says, doing the right thing to the right extent for the right people in the right way and at the right time according to the right interpretation of God's word. What, what a beautiful statement. Doing the right thing to the right extent for the right people in the right way at the right time, according to the right interpretation of God's word. In other words, what, what this definition is implying is that if we're going to do justice, we must do justice through the lens of Scripture toward the culture. He's, he's saying that justice uh, at its very foundation is biblical, it, it, it's, it's deeply embedded in the psyche of God, that it's deeply embedded in God's thought process, that as Christians and as, as the children of Israel, what God is saying to, saying to them is that I want you to look at culture through the lens of Scripture rather than looking at Scripture through the lens of culture. So let the first thing that you begin, when you begin to look at culture and begin to discern what's right and what's wrong, he says, let scripture be your lens. In other words, submit to the authority of scripture 
as you critique the culture. Don't, don't wed yourself to the culture and then begin to judge Scripture through the lens of culture. So it, it's important that we understand that because as Christians, and you've heard me say this many times before, we are, we are citizens of heaven first and earth second. And that means that we get our cues from God before we get our cues from, from the world. That we are citizens of heaven first and earth second. That implies, brothers and sisters, that, that, that God says, uh, you, you listen to me first. You hear what I have to say about a subject first before you hear what the world has to say. The question comes today is, Who's discipling us? Are we being discipled by CNN more than we're being discipled by God? Are we being discipled by MSNBC more than we're being discipled by God? Are we being discipled by Fox more than we are being discipled by God? That's what we as Christians, we, we, are, we are discipled first and foremost by God. And Scripture must be our lens by which we look at the culture. The Bidi Anyawale puts it this way. He talks about the, the four aspects of justice. He talks about ret retributive justice, rewarding those who do good and punishing those who do wrong. And then he talks about restorative justice, making whole the victims of injustice and reconciling offenders and victims where possible. And then distributive justice, giving to each according to what is right. And then there's procedural justice, following processes and policies that themselves are fair and equitable and right. He says you, 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 you can't have full justice without all four of these at play. Every one of these are important when we talk about Justice, restorative justice is making someone whole, victims of, of injustice and reconciling offenders and victims where possible. And so we must be trained in understanding uh, how robust justice is and what God is implying uh, when he talks about justice. God doesn't half do things. He doesn't half do justice. When God does justice, you know that God has done it, that he's in it. But we as finite creatures, as human beings, when we talk about justice, justice for you uh, and justice for me sometimes could be totally different things. But when we look at it through the lens of Scripture, when we begin to get a biblical understanding, a biblical theology of justice, then we begin to realize that when God talks about justice, he's going all the way with it. And this is what we see even in the Exodus story, God's saying, I'm, I'm not going to just set you free, but I'm going to feed you and clothe you and watch over you on the journey. And so we got to understand here, here, when we see the children of Israel, God's giving them this decalogue. He's giving them these 10 words. We have to understand that they have been in slavery for 400 plus years. And so as God calls them out of Exodus, out of uh, Egypt, uh, they have to be spiritually detoxed and culturally detoxed from what they have experienced in, in Egypt. 
In, in other words, there's some things that the, that the children of Israel had to unlearn. There's some things that they're bringing with them. They have an Egyptian mentality. And before they go into the promised land, God says, let me tell you about my character. Let me tell you who I am. Let me extend my grace to you. Let me reveal to you who I am. And before you go into the promised land, you've got to have some promised land principles. You've got to have some, a promised land lifestyle before you even get there. And that's what God many times does for us. There's some things God wants to do in our lives and some places he wants to take us. But first and foremost, there's some things that we have to unlearn before God gets us to our destination. And this is what we see here in the Decalogue. This is what we see here in Exodus 20, 16. So we see God is a justice-making God, and he wants to train his people that we're to be practitioners of the justice of God. And here's, here's the thing, and I'm, I'm on my last point here, but here's the thing. that it, When we talk about justice, that at the heart of justice implies, especially as it relates to us as human beings, that we are human. And I like the way Desmond Tutu put it. He says, my humanity is bound up in yours. For we can only be human together. In other words, I need humanity to be human. I can't be human in isolation. I must be human. I need you, whether you are a believer or unbeliever, whether you are Jewish or a Gentile, whether you are Muslim, whether, whatever you are, whether you're black or brown, God says, first and foremost, you are human. One writer put it this way. He says, we were all humans until race disconnected us. Religion separated us. Politics divided us. And wealth classified us. We were all humans before, before, before we were divided and separated by religion and divided by politics and classified by wealth. We were human. And here's the thing. At the end of the day, you're going to be human because you can't take your wealth with you. Politics don't mean anything on the other side of death, of life, you, 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 politics doesn't mean anything. And we got to understand that even in context of religion and race, we, we, we are all human first. We got to get back to that. We got to get back to that, brothers and sisters. Last but not least, we serve a justice-restoring Savior. A justice-restoring Savior. This, this is what... The big idea is that Jesus doesn't just forgive us, but he restores us. And that's good news that we, we serve a God who not only forgives us, but he goes the extra mile and he re restores us. And when reading the Gospels, one cannot help but recognize the countless times Jesus spoke up and defended the marginalized in society. He kept speaking up. Spoke up for the woman who had been caught in adultery. He, he defended her. He spoke up for the woman who, who washed uh, his feet with, with her hair and broke her, broke her alabaster box and washed his feet with her hair. He spoke up for her. He said, leave her alone. 
He spoke up for a blind Bartimaeus. He, he spoke up for Zacchaeus. Jesus kept speaking up for those who were left out, those who were locked up. He, he kept speaking out for the least of these. And just as Jesus does, so should we be doing if we are followers of Jesus Christ. In this day and age, we need brothers and sisters, Christians who are going to speak up. Jesus, when he said in in Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So if Jesus spoke up, we've got to speak up, and Jesus restores. See, Jesus does for us what the law was unable to do. The the law pointed out our ugliness. It pointed out our fallenness, our sinfulness. But Jesus came to forgive us, but he also came to make us whole. He came to restore us, to make us whole. And we see Jesus doing this throughout the gospel. You know, we've, my men's prayer group, we've been studying a book called The Grace of God and the Flaws of Men. And the writer, Anand Mahadevan, says this. He says, when, grace, when, when sin reigns the darkest, grace shines the brightest. When sin reigns the darkest, grace shines the brightest. And we see whenever Jesus shows up, Grace shows up. The woman that was at at the well, she was in a dark place that day. But when Jesus shows up, grace shined the brightest in her life. And even where we are today, as we move into uh, this this new season, sin reigns the darkest, darkest, grace will shine the brightest. And I don't know where you are today. You may be in a dark place in your life right now. You may be contemplating suicide, but I want you to know where sin reigns the darkest, grace shines the brightest. Jesus wants to value, validate who you are, that you are precious in his sight, that you are an image bearer. I don't know where you are today. You may have lost your job. You don't know where you're going to, where you're going to get your next meal, but I want you to know that where sin reigns the darkest, grace shines the brightest. God loves you. God cares for you. That he, you are the apple of God's eye. God think God, God is precious. God wants you to know that you are precious in his sight. So I want to encourage you today. Jesus wants you to be, become a part of him, and he wants to be a part of your life. You know, Brian Stevenson, who wrote Just Mercy, said that the true measure of our character is how we treat the poor, the disfavored, the accused, the incarcerated, and the condemned. He says, simply punishing the broken only ensures that they remain broken, and we do too. That each of us is more than the worst thing that we've ever done. But I want you to know that all of us are in this thing together. And Jesus entered into our world 
to bring his grace and to shine his grace upon us. I want you to know today that God loves you. And that God, God cares for you. And you may be in a dark time, but I want you to know today that God cares for you. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that when sin reigns the darkest, grace shines the brightest. We thank you for the law. We thank you, Lord, that the law revealed the ugliness of sin, but grace revealed the love of God. So, Lord God, we just pray right now that you would speak to somebody's heart, that you would let them know, Lord, that they belong with you and you belong with them. Let them know, Father God, that you want to breathe new life into them, that you want to give them a second chance. You want to give them hope in the midst of despair. You want to give them love and show them love in the midst of a hate-filled world. You want to show them your grace. And Lord, we thank you. We give you the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.